today. We're in the middle of a series. In fact, we're coming to the end of a series called Connected, uh, a series on relationships. We've been talking about relationships for the last few weeks, and as you can tell, as we've come into the fall, uh, we had our Managing Conflict in the Home seminar. Uh, we've had this series on relationships. We're doing the Emotionally Healthy Relationships class. Uh, we're all about relationships, right? And, and we believe the kingdom of God is about relationship. And so this morning, uh, we're going we're gonna to continue kind of off of last week. We talked last Sunday about inviting God into our relationships. It's amazing that even as Christians, so often we, we have our relationships with each other, and yet God is somewhat left out. We don't, we don't turn to the Lord and ask for his wisdom and his guidance. How many of you have ever felt yourself in, in your relationships with other people? You say things and then you go, have to go back to the Lord and then he goes, really, was that necessary? Did, did you need to say that? Was that helpful? Was that beneficial? And then there's that check in your spirit. How much better would it be if we started there and say, hey, Lord, before I see, say these words, what, what do you say? What do you think? What do you, what's your idea? And inviting God to have an active place in our relationships. As these circles indicate, our lives are connected to each other. We have an impact on each other's lives. And, and more than just me having an impact on you and you having an impact on me, there's a ripple effect. So when I speak into your life or the, the condition of our relationship can actually then have an impact on other relationships that you have that I might not be even connected to. But this is the way that we're knit together. And so we have to steward that really well. See, because it can be a really good thing and be really positive or it can have some really negative effect in our lives. We read last week out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Can I get an amen? amen. He comforts us in all our troubles. Can I tell you this morning, if you're experiencing trouble in your life, God wants to comfort you. And he, he's, he's not holding back. He's not going, I'll see how you perform and if you measure up and if you do good enough. He just is the God of comfort. And if you're experiencing trouble, he says, I will comfort you in the midst of your trouble. But he doesn't stop there. He keeps going and he says, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So what you receive from God isn't just for you. It's not just for you. And we live in a time and in a place, in a part of the world where we are all about self. That I get for me. I'm looking out for me. I need this to benefit me. And we very rarely will turn that attention and say, God, what you've given me, I want to give away. I want to be a blessing to other people. But this is the heart of the kingdom. This is the heart of God, that we would be an extension of the love of God, that the comfort we receive would be then passed on to other people who are in trouble, that they would receive the blessing of the Father in that. God cares about you, but he also cares about the people that you're connected to. I want to speak today about rebuilding broken relationships, rebuilding broken relationships, See, it's, it's one thing to say, Lord, I want you to be a part of my relationship. I want you to speak into this. But we've got to go deeper than that. We've got to look at the places where things have gone sideways, where relationships have not gone well, where there's been fracturing and brokenness that has come, where there's been division. And say, Lord, how do we go about, how do we set about rebuilding these relationships? I've grown up in church my whole life. I've been in church I, 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 from five years old on. In fact, I don't remember my, the time in my life that I wasn't involved in church. I went to Bible college. I graduated from Bible college. I've served as a pastor. I've served on staff at churches. I've been a pastor of a church and am currently a pastor of a church. And can I tell you in my experience, this is one thing that I have not seen done well in the church. That we 
do not rebuild relationships well. If anything, we go the opposite direction. I wonder how many people are attending other churches, not because the Lord called them to be there, because they were just done being around that other person that they were no longer in relationship with. That's called an oxymoron. It's the antithesis of the heart of God for his body. I want to throw out this disclaimer or this caution, because I'm going to speak very broadly today. And, and I don't want you to start thinking like that I'm, I'm, I'm missing points or there's things that I'm, are, are not being said because there's going to be a lot that's not said because this is a very deep and complex subject. But what I want to bring today is, is kind of an overview and the Lord, I believe, has given, uh, given me for, for this, this congregation this morning some parallels from the Old Testament that I'll speak about in a minute, but, but let me just say, I recognize every situation is different. And my goal today is not to lay out a, you know, five easy steps to reconciliation plan, <laughs> right? If you do these five things, it doesn't work that way because relationships are messy and that they're complicated and you're complicated. Did you know that? You're complicated. What I want to do is draw out some principles that we can apply to our lives and allow the Holy Spirit to direct us in. And so I invite you to open your heart to the Lord this morning to receive from Him what He would want to speak to you. Romans chapter 12, 16 through 18 says this, live in harmony with one another. Amen, let's go eat. (laughs) Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with some people the people that you like, the people who agree with you. No, at peace with everyone, with everyone. The part of this passage that I want to highlight and what I want to set the tone for this morning is this, as far as it depends on you. Because when we come to broken relationships, it's always the other person. Am I right? That's what we see. Oh, but you don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. You don't know how they treated me. And we want to bring that to God and say, God, you do Oh, wait, he does know. (laughs) What he's saying is, as far as it depends on you, and I think we let ourselves off easy. Oh, I did everything I could. Would God say that you did everything you could? Remember, church, this is the gospel that we were separated from God, that we were in broken relationship with God. And for God so loved the world that he gave, that Jesus came and he gave his life. He did everything he could up to and including death on a cross. Now we still have to make a decision to follow him. So the onus here is on us. As far as it depends on you, Live at peace. You can't make anyone do anything. You know that. You've learned that, right? It is not possible for you to make anyone do anything, even your two-year-old. Am I right? I want to draw some parallels this morning out of the Old Testament. I was thinking about the fact that we, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to read the passages that talk about that in a minute. But I was, I was praying about this, this passage. The Lord took me to Ezra and Nehemiah. and started showing me some parallels between the Old Testament where Ezra and Nehemiah set about the work of rebuilding the temple and the city and the walls of Jerusalem and setting the gates back in place. See, in the Old Testament, Jerusalem was the place where the, where the presence of God dwelt. If you wanted to be in the presence of God, you would go up to Jerusalem. You would go worship. 
And it was custom for the Jewish people to go up in certain festivals at certain times of the year. They would go up to Jerusalem and they would bring their sacrifices and they would go in through the gates of Jerusalem and they would come up to the Temple Mount and they would purify themselves through the ceremonial washing and they would take their sacrifices and they would go up into the outer courts of the temple and then they would go into the, for the Jewish people, they would go into the inner courts and they would present their sacrifice and the, and the priests would take those sacrifices and they would put them on the altar. And, and this is where the, the glory of God hovered in this place. It was a sacred and, and holy place. It was the place where, where man could come and be in the presence of God. Remember, there was brokenness there. And God was doing everything he could for, for man to be reconciled, to be as close as they could. And so Israel goes through a season where they, they, they become in, in siege. There's a, the Assyrian army comes against them. They, 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 they kick the, the Jewish people out of Jerusalem. They tear down the walls. They destroy the temple. And the, and the Jewish people are sent into exile. And for, for hundreds of years, they're, they're scattered all over in, in different nations. And the heartbreaking thing about this is that the people no longer have a place to go and be in the presence of God. I was praying about and thinking about the fact that we are now the temples of the Holy Spirit, that we, His children, that we house the presence of God. But how often the walls of our temples and the safe places in our relationships, in our community, get broken down. And that God says, I want to restore, I want to rebuild and build back up this place where my presence dwells so that I will be known in the earth. We were just a few of us, just a few weeks ago, we're in Jerusalem and it's an amazing place to go. But it's so sobering to stand in this, this incredible place, to stand at the Temple Mount where that temple once was built and to realize you know what? His presence isn't here anymore. His presence is here. That God is in us. That he, is, he has poured His Spirit into us in that way. There's a lot to the story, and you can read about it in, in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. But I want to highlight a few different parts. I want to first read a passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul says this, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. Can we stop there for a second? That's heavy. God's not messing around when it comes to this. This is not something he takes lightly. For God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. We have so elevated your personal relationship with Jesus in our culture. My whole life I heard that. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus, which is true. You have access to the Father but it's not just a personal relationship with Jesus. That together, as brothers and sisters, as the body of Christ, that together that God dwells in our midst. Together we are his temple. And his spirit is in us and his spirit is with us. You know what that means? That this is sacred space. This is sacred space. This school multi-purpose room has been transformed into sacred space, just like the place where Moses stood with the burning bush and God said, take off your sandals because the place you are standing in is holy. The bush wasn't holy. The dirt wasn't holy. It was the presence of God that make it, made it sacred. We, as we have come together in this place with the spirit of God in, in us and in the midst of us, this has become a sacred place. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name that I am there in the midst of them. And it's not like God is just, hey, I'm just hanging out with you. He's saying that I have transformed that, that place of two or three gathering with an awareness of God has been turned into a sacred space. What that says to me is that relationship can't be taken lightly. That the connections we have with each other 
cannot be taken lightly. They are holy to the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22, Paul again writes, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Church, this is powerful. It's a powerful, powerful image that he's using. Now, now Paul, when writing to his audience, when Jesus talks about these things, they would have been familiar with these pictures because they lived in it. It was around them. One of the things that we saw in Israel was a section of Nehemiah's wall called the, the Broad Wall. We can show a picture of that. This is right in the heart of the old city of Jerusalem, and it was uncovered and, and, and shows this section of wall is, is part of the, the, the city wall of the city of Jerusalem dating back to a thousand years before Jesus Christ. And it's amazing to walk around and as they, they do uh, construction in different parts of the city, they'll dig down a little bit and then they'll find, oh my goodness, this is a wall, this is a street, this is a house. And everything stops, all construction stops and they bring in a team who then carefully go, start going through and uncovering different pieces and different parts and they'll make a determination of, yeah, you can keep doing construction, this is not, you know, this is not something that we need to preserve or they'll find parts of the city and go, this, this is special. This, this part of the wall is special. Because it harkens back to the old days, the times of, of, of the Jewish people in Judah and Israel. To this ancient city where the people would come into the presence of God. This is a special part of the wall. What happens in Israel is that, and, and throughout history, is that one city is built on top of another city, on top of another city. And so you'll have walls and, and houses built on, and so there's kind of these layers that go down. And so when they discover something like this, it's, it's pretty important for them to stop. And they, they have their techniques where they're able to go in and, and date things and figure out what time period uh, that it's from. But this is a section of what is known as Nehemiah's Wall. It was a part of the wall that was built before Nehemiah's time, but it was destroyed by the Assyrians. And so Nehemiah committed himself to coming back to Jerusalem and repairing the wall, repairing this place where God's people would be able to come and gather and be in the presence of the Lord. You see, for the people living in those times as these writers would have said, you know, we were fit together like stones, one laid on top of the other with the cornerstone in its place. They would have seen those, these images, they would have seen these walls that were established and it would have made sense to them. See, this is no small wall. This is not like a little cinder, cinder block wall in your backyard that's just, you know, eight inches wide. That this is extremely wide. It's about 12 feet across that wall. And so that wall would have gone up. You can see on the right side, there's some markers and it goes up another three or four feet above that. This wall would have been significant. It was a fortress. And so as Paul is saying these words that you are being fit together, you're being, being brought together as the children of God, that, that, that you are his temple. This imagery is that you can't, you can't take one rock out and, and, and expect that whole structure to stand. It's gonna compromise that structure, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that God's word to us would be this, you can't expect to stand if you remove one piece. If there's brokenness, if there's separation, it affects the whole, it affects, that ripple effect just keep go, keeps going and I believe that God, that God is calling his church to a season of mending, a season of restoration. But there's a few things that need to be in place in us for that to happen. And that's what I want to speak about for the next few minutes. The first thing that needs to happen is this. 
we have to ask God to soften our hearts. We have to ask God to soften our hearts. I don't know about you, but I know this. I justify my behavior. I, I give myself all kinds of permission to per- behave all kinds of ways that are not appropriate or biblical. I justify it. We learn it from little kids when we're, when we're little kids, right? If you do this to me, I'm going to do this to you. And the level of hurt that we experience justifies how we respond, how we lash out, the things that we say. And then we just escalate. You ever feel like you're just kind of like in a, in a downward spiral, right? You're like on this merry-go-round. You just can't get off. And it's like you said, and then I said, and then you said. And we have imaginary conversations with people, and we get mad at them in our head, and we get mad about th- at them about things they didn't even say, Right? Come on. And I'm fired up and my heart's all in, oh gosh, and we're stressed out. We have to ask God to soften our hearts. Our hearts can become hardened towards each other. Our hearts can become so hard to the people in our lives that God cares about. In Nehemiah 1, chapter 3, uh, verse 3, we see, we hear about Nehemiah says this, it says this, those, they said to me, this is a, a delegation that have come back from Judah and they're giving him a report. He's in exile in what is now Iraq. He would have been in that region of the world. And he's an advisor, he's a cupbearer to the king and, uh, and, and he's getting this report from these people who've gone back to Judah and seen the condition of, of Jerusalem. So this is what it says, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great t- trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Just the the thought of Jerusalem laying in ruins, these walls being torn down, the gates being burned. See, the gates were the security If you had no gates, you were exposed. If there was no gates, you couldn't close that place and say, you know what, we're we're gonna fortify ourselves and protect ourselves. And so and and so Nehemiah is imagining these people who are now returning, the exiles coming back to Jerusalem. And they're in a place that's dangerous. They're in a place that it's exposed. They're in a place that's not safe for their children. And so as Nehemiah is is hearing this report, his heart is broken. His heart is broken over the condition of his beloved city, Jerusalem. And he starts weeping before the Lord. I wonder how often we weep before God because of broken relationship. I wonder how often we go before the Lord with our hearts just, just wrenched because of things that are taking place between people. See, Nehemiah wept over a city. He wept over a wall. He wept over, he wept over a place that was an actual place. What we have to weep over, though, is the places where the temple of God, the city of God, this place where God's spirit dwells us. We're the stones. We're the people that God has fit together. And when, when that's laying in ruins, it should break our heart. Our hearts should weep over break broken relationship. As, as Paul writes and he says, listen, don't be proud. Don't be proud. What he's saying is, listen, don't, don't walk around going, well, I'm good. My section of the wall is good. I've got my part all together. Because we all understand this. If you're on, on a wall, there's a section of wall, and you're going, well, my part of the wall is good, but your friend's wall is not, guess what? The enemy's just going to come right in. And so we stand in a place of pride and go, well, I've got my stuff together. What about you? Now, our hearts should be wrenched and broken over broken relationships, places where the temple of God, where the, the dwelling of the Most High is struggling, is not doing well. We need, need to ask God to soften and break our hearts. 
And I'm not just talking about the relationships you have, because remember, we're connected. We're connected. Paul spends a lot of time, and in the New Testament, we see a lot of talk about not gossiping. See, because our, our nature is, is that we just want to evaluate and talk about everybody else. Man, can you believe how messed up they are? I, I can't believe that she said that or he did that. And, and we're, we feel all kinds of freedom to share that with other people. And what we don't realize that in the process, church, this is what's happening when we speak about each other that way. It is akin to someone taking a sledgehammer and breaking down the wall. And where the wall is weak, the enemy has opportunity. Don't give the enemy a foothold, an opportunity to come in. It's in our relationships. We need to stop and say, God, break my heart. And then as he does that, what he's going to do is he's going to point out where you're broken. Because he's faithful and he's good and he's kind, but he's also just. And as we soften our hearts before him, what he's going to do is start with us and say, okay, let me point some things out in your life that need attention. And this is usually where we stop. I'm good. I don't want to go there. I've justified that feeling. I've justified that anger. Uh, they need to fix themselves, I'm good. God says, no, no, let me deal with you. We see it reflected in Nehemiah's response to hearing about the wall. You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't blame the Assyrians. Now, the Assyrians broke down the wall. But Nehemiah doesn't blame the Assyrians. What he does is he says this in verse, uh, verse 6 of chapter 1. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the, pr the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. For your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins, we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your, your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. It goes on and he talks about Nehemiah repenting before God. He doesn't blame anyone. He says, God, we did this. I did this. I was a part of this. Now, this happened 350 years before Nehemiah wrote these, or said these words. But he takes responsibility and he says, God, point it out in me. Point it out in me because, because my sin has contributed to this. So we have to ask God to soften our hearts. And as we do, we need to recognize where he starts pointing out and says, okay, then this is where you need to work. This is what you need to do in your life. And then we have to repent. We have to repent. Rebuilding relationships starts when we repent before God and take responsibility for ourselves. Stop blaming someone else and ask God to show you. This is the part of as much as it depends on you. Get on your face before the Lord. The next thing is this. Ask God for help. Ask God for help. I think we try to fix relationships in our own strength and then it doesn't, doesn't go well. And like I said last week, we tend to ask God for help to clean up the mess we've made. What if we started and said, God, would you help me on the front end? Would you give me wisdom? Would you give me the right information and the right tools that I need to rebuild this relationship? Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. Nehemiah goes before the king. In fact, he's before the king, and the king notices that his countenance is down, that he's sad. And he says to Nehemiah, I've never seen you sad in my presence. What's up? What's going on? Now remember, 
The king is not, he's not, a, he's not a Jewish king. He is not an Israelite. He's a pagan king. He's a conquering king. And Nehemiah has favor with him, and he says, Nehemiah, what's going on? You're not yourself. And Nehemiah says, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it you want? I love that. What do you need? What is it you want? And I love Nehemiah's response. He doesn't just blurt out the first thing that comes to his mind. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and then I answered the king. He recognized where his true authority was. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. You know what the king does? He doesn't just let him go. He actually supplies him with the materials that are needed. And he sends him with troops. And he sends him with a letter signed by the king saying, hands off this guy, he's my dude. He's my guy. And this pagan, unbelieving, conquering king gives permission and funds the work to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. God puts him in a place, though, of favor where he just simply has to say, this is what I need. Now, we, we don't have a pagan conquering king. We have the king of kings who, like I said already, will supply every need. And I think sometimes God is just saying to us, what do you need? Now, he knows what you need. But there's, there's a partnership here where he wants to say to us, I want you to be aware of what you're asking for. What is that you need from me? Ask God to help you. And God will give you everything you need. He will give you the open doors. He will give you the opportunities. He will even give you people in your life. There are people in my life that I can go to and say, hey, I need help with this. I need counsel. Now, I've already addressed gossip. But there is place for wise counsel, trusted people that you can go, I'm having an issue in a relationship. You don't have to name names, but you can say, here's kind of what's going on. Would you help me? Would you speak into my life? And God, because we're connected by the Spirit of God, will speak into that. But we got to ask for help. Because I tell you what, we, we think we're like cowboys in the Wild West. And we're just like slinging our guns like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And, and before we know it, we're in this, this heap of a mess. And, and now we have to move to another state. <laughs> and we laugh, but I know people do that. Because I can't bump into those people anymore at State of Brothers. So I actually have to sell my house and go somewhere else because it's too awkward. Instead of stopping and saying, God, help. Help me fix this mess. Thirdly, we need to assess the damage and start rebuilding. So often we think we know what went wrong. And most of the time, we have no clue. We have no clue. We gotta, we've got to communicate. We've got to seek understanding. Don't guess. When it comes to relationships, don't guess. If you don't get anything else out of this morning, and I hope you do, but if you don't, stop guessing what other people are thinking. You are not a mind reader. You're just not. And however good you think you are at it, you're really not that good. And it's a tactic of the enemy. He uses this constantly with us. Ah. Oh can't believe she looked at me that way. I'm going to tell a funny story. I went to, uh, went to a pastor's conference, and a couple of years ago, I was working with a trainer, and I was doing really well. I lost a bunch of weight, and, and I was like, okay, I've got to stay up on it, and then kind of slip back. And every conference I go to, I know he's going to be there, <laughs> and I avoid him. 
Now, he's never been unkind or rude, but I avoid him because I'm dealing with shame in my own life. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this. You go to name, conferences and everyone's wearing a name badge, and, and you, you would see someone that you've known like your entire life. You know their name, but you still look at their name badge. You ever do that? Just like there's that little fear, and you're like, maybe, I'm, maybe I've been saying it wrong all these years. So you just check. So I'm standing talking to someone, and this guy came walking by, and I, out of the corner of my eye, I catch him looking at my gut. That's what I thought. And immediately, I was just like, I can't believe him. He doesn't, you know, and I'm defensive. <laughs> and literally, the Lord just said, Barry, he was looking at your name tag. He was just looking at your name tag. Dude, get over yourself. <laughs> we think we know. And great relationships have been destroyed over less. Great relationships have been destroyed over less because we think we, we know what went wrong. And then we try, we try and fix it because you're like, oh, well, biblically, I'm supposed to do something. And I'm trying to fix something that's not even broken. And we do more damage. We have to stop and say, God, what's going on? So, so Nehemiah in chapter, three, chapter 2, and I encourage you, go read the first few chapters of Nehemiah. It's a great story. But he goes at night with a group of people. He arrives in Jerusalem, and there's opposition. There's people that don't want him there. But he goes around Jerusalem, and he rides around the whole city and walks at night, and he assesses the damage, and he looks for where is the places that are the most broken? Where do we need to start the work? And he formulates a plan based on good information. You need to assess the damage. And maybe it just starts with this hey, can we grab a cup of coffee? I feel like I've offended you. Can you help me understand what's going on? And then shut your mouth and listen. And don't defend yourself. Just listen. And when you have good information, then start rebuilding. And that's what Nehemiah did. He goes at night and he assesses the whole situation. And then he takes the people that have returned to Jerusalem and he separates them into groups. And he says, listen, you guys are going to work on this part of the wall and you're going to work on this part of the wall. And this clan, you guys are going to work on this gate and you guys are going to work on that gate. And, all, and it's, a, it's a big area. It's not a small little, little town. This is the city of Jerusalem. And so they're all around the city. They're spread out on the wall. And, 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 and what happens is in, in those times when, a, when an army would come in, they would literally just, they would go, go up and they would start pushing the rocks off the wall. And so in order to rebuild the, the wall, what they had to do was take the rocks that were on the ground. In fact, we, we can get that picture back up again. They would take the rocks that would have been lying down on the ground and they just have to get them back up on the wall. This was the rebuilding process. In fact, today, to this day, one of the sites that we went to, one of Herod's palaces in Jerusalem, they, they were rebuilding. And what they were doing, there was a pile of rocks that was there from when the, the structure came down. And, and those that were working were just taking those rocks and fitting them back into place. That's what Nehemiah and his team were doing. They were taking the rocks that had been pushed off the wall and they were just putting them back up into place. They had to fashion new gates out of wood because the gates had been burned and then set them in place. Here's what I know though. They didn't start on the first day, pick up the first rock, put it in place and go, we're done. took 52 days, which is pretty miraculous considering the scope of work they had to do. But it took 52 days. I think sometimes what we do is we have a cup of coffee, say, hey, I, please forgive me. And we feel like in that moment, we've just, okay, the wall's back. No, what you've done is you've taken the first pebble and put it back in place. But there's a process. And if there's a fence and there's hurt, and there's been time that's gone by. And then we have this prideful way of thinking. It was like, I said sorry. What's their problem? <laughs> no, no. There's still a bunch of rubble on the ground. You've got to commit yourself to the process of rebuilding. That's why it's rebuilding relationship. 
But you got to figure out which is the first stone to put back in place. And then you got to commit yourself to go, I'm going to keep going with the process as much as it depends on you. And like I said, there might be times where the other person's like, you know what, I'm, I, I don't want to. I'm good. Leave me alone. Go away. And when there's a peace in your heart that you've done everything you can, you've done your part before the Lord. And that's okay. But we got to make sure we put in the work. And then finally this morning, we've got to guard against attack. There was these two guys, Sinbalat and Tobiah, who hated Nehemiah. There were foreigners, and they had set up residence in this place. There were officials. And when Nehemiah showed up, they're like, what the heck are you doing here, dude? Get out. And so they start mocking them, and they're doing the work of rebuilding these walls. But these guys are coming against them, and they're telling him things like, hey, listen, your work is so shoddy. This is so bad. Like a fox is going to jump up on that wall, and it's just going to fall down. And he mocks them. And then they start actually attacking, physically attacking the people and coming against the people. See, because the enemy doesn't want the walls to be rebuilt. When Paul writes in Ephesians that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, that's what he's talking about. That the enemy is so anti-relationship. He doesn't want you to have a relationship with God, and he doesn't want you to be in relationship with other believers. That's his goal. That's where he steals, kills, and destroys. And so these two guys are opposing the work. It says that they plotted in in chapter 4, they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and, and posted a guard by day and night to meet this threat. You've got to recognize that when you start the process of rebuilding relationship, that the enemy of your soul is going to pull out all the stops and want to destroy the work. And you need to pray to the God of heaven, and you need to guard your heart. You need to recognize the attacks and go, wait a minute, this, this, is, this is not the other person lashing out at me. This is the work of the enemy. And stand that ground goes on in Nehemiah 4, 16 through 18. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. And the officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. They were prepared. They continued the work of rebuilding, but they were ready to push back to rebuff the attacks of the enemy. We have to be ready to stand guard against the attacks of the enemy in our relationships. And guys, it's not easy. This is not a one-off, oh, I prayed a quick prayer. This is spiritual warfare. This is us pressing in and saying, God, I need you to come through in this. This is you asking for prayer partners to stand with you, people that you trust. I have, I have a list of about five guys that I can, I can text when I'm up against something and go, hey guys, I need prayer. And you know what? They do. They do. And I've had conversations that I thought, oh, this is not going to go well. But I'll reach out for, for my prayer circle, my guys to pray for me. Megan and I will pray, and I walk out of almost every single one of those meetings. I would say almost. I'm thinking over the last few years. Every place where I thought, I have to have a really difficult conversation, this is not going to go well. When I committed myself to prayer and, and, and guarding myself and putting on the armor of God and surrounding myself with people who would partner with me in prayer, it always goes this way. I go in thinking, I don't know, this is the way this might go, and I walk out going, wow, that was amazing. And it definitely wasn't because of me. We have to guard our hearts. We're going to close with communion this morning. I invite the ushers to, get, to start preparing. As, it, as, it, as we consider the rebuilding of relationships, there's no better way for us to, to do that than by coming to the table.
Because as I mentioned before, we were separated. We were enemies of God. There was no peace between us. The sin in our lives brought division. But God moved. He had a plan. And that plan was Jesus Christ, who would come to earth and that he would give of himself, that he would sacrifice himself, that he would serve us in order to restore relationship with the Father. And so God did this reconciling work for us. And then he says to us, but it's not just for you. This is for you to take out and now share with other people. And in the same way that you have been reconciled to God, God is saying, would you be reconciled to each other? Would you go about the work of rebuilding those relationships? It might be within your home. It might be in your marriage. It might be in your workplace. It might be people that that you attend church with. It might be in your neighborhood. Whatever it is, you know those places. You know those places where there's attention needed. Know this, that God has made provision. He has made a way for you to be reconciled to him. And he's making a way for you to be reconciled to the people in your life that he's fit you together with so that his presence can dwell in your midst. I want to invite the ushers to come forward and the worship team to come. The body of Jesus was broken and beaten so that we could be made whole. I'm going to ask the ushers to pass the trays. Go ahead and just hold on to the bread. And we'll receive together. The body of Jesus was broken so that we could have healing in our relationships, in our bodies in our emotions, in our thinking, that God wanted to bring wholeness to the broken places of our lives. And for the next, the next minute or so, would you just before the Lord, would you ask Him, as you hold this piece of bread, would you ask Him to soften your heart? Would you ask Him to show places where maybe your heart has become a little hard? Where it needs to be broken a little bit by His Spirit? And then we'll receive together in just a moment. Let's go ahead and stand together. Jesus, this piece of bread represents your body. Your body that was broken and bruised for us. But Lord, we remember this morning that we are your body. And that we are your body because of the work that you did at the cross. We are your body because you did the work of reconciliation that you did the work of rebuilding what sin had broken down. So Jesus, we thank you that you have welcomed us into the family of God. That you've made a way, that you've made provision for us to be made whole. I speak, Lord, I pray and declare healing over this congregation. I pray for healing in relationships. I pray, Lord, where, where, where relationships have been ripped apart, that there would be a coming together and a restoration that would take place. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. Let's receive together.
the cup. The cup is the seal. His blood is the thing that's sealed forever, this new covenant, this new relationship that we have. That Jesus, when he died on that cross, when he shed that blood, as the writer of Hebrews says, that that our sin is forgiven. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And it was the sin that was the thing that was keeping us separate from God. And so Jesus took care of the sin so that we could be reconciled. He identified what was broken and he fixed it for us. And then Jesus makes this statement to his disciples. He says, this is the seal of the new covenant. And he says, I won't drink of this cup again until I return. Jesus is coming back. And we will share the cup with him. But we will also share the cup with each other. That we will stand together in glory. Can I tell you right now that people that have offended you in the church, they will stand together with you in heaven. And this cup says, you know what? There's a way to seek reconciliation. God did it for us. He made provision for us. But he doesn't expect for us to just do it in our own strength. He says, I will work in you and I will work through you to do a mighty work in the people around you. But it started with us. What he's done for us is so good. Jesus, we thank you for the cup. We thank you for the seal of this covenant that you have made with us. That you've declared that we are your children. That you are our God. That you are our Father. Lord, that nothing can separate us from that love. And so, Lord, in the same way as we've received reconciliation and forgiveness from you, I pray that we would walk with a heart of forgiveness to those around us. That we would walk with a posture of humility and reconciliation in our lives. For your glory. In the name of Jesus. Let's receive together. Amen. Our prayer team is available this morning. If you want to pray with, with them about any need. If you have any prayer need whatsoever. They would love the opportunity to pray with you. We're going to close with just a chorus and then you're dismissed to go. I pray you have a wonderful day. Come join us at the park today. We'd love to see you.